Hello and welcome to the Spiraling Higher podcast hosted by me, Sam, Mindset and Manifestation Coach. And me, Gina, your Biz and Mindset Coach. We're here to support you on your spiritual journey by bringing you intimate and raw conversations about healing, manifestation, consciousness, and spirituality. We hope this podcast makes you feel less alone as you become aware of your patterns and limiting beliefs to uplevel your life, manifest like a boss, and together, spiral higher. Okay, so we are recording this episode after coming out of my typical week-long depressions, as you know. (laughs) I go into these really deeply sad, depressive states and try to convince Gina that I'm literally never going to come out of them ever again. I start catastrophizing that this is just my life now. I'm never going to be happy again. And every single time I get a little bit pissed at Gina because she's really excited for me. (laughs) Every time you are, you're literally excited for me because you know what's going to be on the other side of it. I I know. And I think the other funny thing is that every time you go into these, you know, we can call them a downward spiral, you always think it's going to last forever. And then when you get out of it, you're like, I'm never going to have to deal with that again. Why do we do that? And that's when I'm like, until the next time. (laughs) Until the next time. But why do we get so attached to those states? Because it's true. Like when I'm really happy. So today and yesterday was kind of when I started to make my ascent back into the world. I was thinking to myself like, oh my God, like I'm just going to maintain this. Like this is amazing. I'm just, I'm going to keep meditating. I'm going to keep doing all the things. And of course those tools and practices will work and alleviate some of the pain. But I think there's just no getting around the fact that you are going to experience pain. We're humans. We suffer. It's part, it's just part of everything. I think it goes hand in hand. It's that whole duality concept we always talk about. It's, I think you shared with me how somebody said it's 50% good and 50% bad. What was that quote that you shared with me before? Do you remember what I'm talking about? I mean, basically I I had a life coach once once, actually who was like, life is 50-50. Yeah, that's what it was. Remember I told you that? And I was like, I fucking hate that. Yeah. And you you were like, why? But that's just how it is. And I was like, I want 80-20. And what's funny is in this coaching call I had with her, I told her that. I said, I don't want to accept 50-50. I want 80-20. And she was like, for as long as you believe that life should be 80-20, you're going to create that much more suffering for yourself during that 30. And so she basically was like, why don't you just accept that it's 50-50? And I still struggle. I still struggle with it. I think for me, I guess I what I hear right away is when you say 80-20, if the pain is only 20%, you wouldn't get the 80 Mm, that's so true because truly the juiciest, most embodied, joyful moments of my life, they always come after these like hermit crab phases. Every time. And I think I've had so many examples of that. I've had so many pieces of evidence in my life that I really do get excited when I go through painful things. And the more painful you do. it is, the more I'm like, I cannot wait to see how good the gift is on the other side. I always say as painful as it is, the gift is the equal size. That was a terrible way of putting it. I don't know if I've ever asked you this, but like, when do you think you started believing that? Because I noticed about, because you've believed that ever since I met you, which was like three years ago, which is crazy Um, because we know each other. I've always believed that. I, like, since you were a child? 
I mean, I don't think I understood the concept of pain when I was a child, but I will say that in high school, I'll never forget, it's one of my favorite quotes, um, that pain is never without purpose. And I remember some guy told me this in high school and I was like, you're right. Because that's when I started to reflect that every ounce of pain I've ever experienced. And I mean, in high school, it was like, boys not liking you. It was like friends not, <laughs> you know, it was it was different. Even my family pain. Um, it was, I could see the purpose in all of it. And yeah. I think from there, I wasn't as obsessed with like feeling pain. I feel like now I, I do like it because I know it's going to lead me to the next, you know, evolution of me, the next epiphany, the next golden nugget. I don't think I liked it as much back then, but I definitely always had that belief that it's always for a reason. Yeah. And I think I've always had the belief that like you wouldn't be going through it unless you were supposed to go through it. So maybe totally. because I've just always had a belief that everything happens for a reason. That was, was just kind of my mm. generic belief. Yeah. Basically, the difference between you and I is that you had a lot of self-trust. Whereas when I experienced those lows, and even though I'm I'm like years deep into my spiritual journey, I literally still like four days ago was like, I'm never going to be happy ever again. <laughs> and you were like, Sam, we've done this before. (laughs) You were like, you know, it doesn't last. And I was like, I don't know. I think this is like just my new state. Like this is just how I'm going to be. And it's so true though. The pain is never without purpose because after going through that, I had like a quantum leap of epiphanies. And I told you I was actually writing my book. Um, I've been trying to birth my book baby into the world. And I wrote an entire, basically three chapters about what came through. And I truly believe now on the other side of it, and I hope I can maintain this perspective as I move forward. But I truly believe now that my higher self sent me down there because there were actually things that I needed to learn that would actually speed up my expansion. And so what felt like a slowdown, a a step backwards, a stumble was actually a speed, like a speed, like, increase boost. a speed boost yeah but yes. speed bump but that would be a delay <laughs> but yeah a speed boost literally it's like you know when you're playing mario kart or something and you get to i was just, just like, gonna say that <laughs> i know you were yeah it's like, it's like your cart is like going then all of a sudden like you're like boom so i think that's actually what was happening but of course like in the moment i literally was like i don't want to live like this i don't want to like not that i wanted to like not live anymore but i honestly was just dreading waking up in the morning and having to do life again. And then you know what made that doubly worse, obviously, was feeling so much guilt and shame because my external world had remained relatively unchanged. And that's how you know your universe comes from within you because nothing physically changed. My job was the same. My friends were the same. My relationship was the same. But suddenly the world was like a dark cloud over me, but it was just in my mind. I feel like that's actually what makes it worse for you, that nothing did change. Because you're like, why am I I feeling like this? Everything else is good. Why do I, you know, feel this way? And I think for you also, you didn't experience a ton of pain. I mean, you I guess you did, but I feel like your childhood, your teenage years, you were just very happy. So I feel like for you, you this wasn't normal. I think I was a very emotional. Gene is a cancer. <laughs> I'm a can I'm cancer like four times in my sign. I I'm just a feeler. And so I think for me, I I when when I would be sad, I would just listen to music to make me cry harder. You know? So for me, I've just always loved to feel emotions all the way through. Whereas you're like, what is the quickest way to stop feeling like this? 
Right. Which is the resistance piece. And every single teacher or guide I've ever had was the reason why this is so painful is you not wanting to have it there. And I'm like, but how do I stop wanting to have, like, I was like, how do I stop wanting that to go? Like, why would I want it to not go away? And they're like, you just allow it. And I'm like, I can't. I can't. But I always think of it in the way of like how a child would feel if you were like, can you just get over it faster? Like, I know you're sad, but just hurry up. And that would only elongate the entire process because now they're upset that you don't care. And I think that's one of the things that we've always talked about, which is that the reason why it's so uncomfortable is because it's just not the way that your inner being wants you to feel about it. Right? It's, It's that gap. Like your inner being is like, this is good. And in fact, it's actually what you manifested. Because you're sitting there trying to manifest quantum leaps, more growth, more expansion, you know, all of these things. But that can't happen without these painful experiences. Because look, your your book came out. Like you just started writing. And that wouldn't have happened without the pain. So that's why now I just instantly see those connections, you know. So do you feel like that's becoming easier for you? Slowly, slowly. But, you know, I I think we can always see the pain and its purpose in retrospect. But the most difficult part is having that perspective in the moment. Because like you said, earlier today, we were on the phone and um, you were saying like, I know it's really hard for you to remember that in the moment, but I mean, look at how you feel now and look at what you've created from that. And I'm like, no, I know now, but how do you think that we can keep that perspective or I can keep that perspective in in the valley, in the I deep darkness? It really comes down to trust. That's it. You have to just trust that that source. I, I think Abraham Hicks talking about source and how your inner being, um, it's very comforting, right? The, you know, they say that your inner being is always at the point of attraction for you. So even when you are in resistance mode and you are stepping away from being in vibrational alignment, your inner being just stays there. And so yeah. I think having that gives me peace. And I think also just knowing that I've always come out of it, so I will again. So I think in those moments, I know what works for me when I'm feeling down, because I still have a hard time when I'm feeling sad sometimes and I'm not ready to come out of it. I know what I need to do, but I'm like, I don't I don't want to. I'm too mad. I'm too this. I start to write statements like, what I know is mm-hmm. fill in the blank. So I start to build trust. So I start to say things like, what I know is that every time I go through this, I come out with a gift. What I know is I've never gone through something painful that I haven't come out better on the other side. What I know is that the universe is always supporting me. And it just starts to build momentum until I'm like, okay, I'll be fine. Yeah. No, those are such good statements. I think that what happens to most of us is that we start feeling those emotions and then we have panicked thoughts in response to those emotions, which then enhances law of attraction in that direction. So then we get more of those emotions, which fuel more of the negative thoughts until it's very, very difficult to start building momentum in the direction of those other types of statements. So I would have to kind of fight through the energy of the thoughts that I had kind of created, like basically a cyclone of negativity, which was just like, oh, like you're never going to feel better than this. And, you know, you created this and this is your fault and you're ru- you're ruining everyone else's day, like things like that. It was just so hard for me to choose like a what I know is statement. And so I kind of want to go back to the inner child thing or like a like you said a parent would be talking to a child. Um and I realized once again honestly all healing 
is inner child healing. I swear. So I remember, totally agree. I remember I told you that I was going to do a meditation, a tapping session with um, a good friend of mine, which ended up being incredible. And in that session, we actually started with tapping on the resistance. So he was like, you know what? That's the top layer right now. There's something underneath, but we're not going to go there. We need to start with the uppermost layer, which makes sense. Like if I am going to, I don't know, like knock down a building, then I might start at the top or the outside layer. Like you can't like, you know what I mean? That was a bad example, but you're going to start from the outside. You can't go to the inside without going through the outside. For sure. So he was like, we're going to tap on the resistance. And so I did that. You know, I was like tapping all around my face and my body and basically saying like, I really don't want to let this go. I'm so angry at myself right now, but I choose to accept myself, all of that. And then once that had kind of passed through, he was asking me to observe the differences within my body and I have told him that I felt like this energy in my chest having kind of widened, you know, it felt really narrow and tight and then it started to kind of move. And, um, and then we moved into a different section of the meditation and I started to feel some emotion as I was telling him a story about when I was 13, like this, this, uh, story came up and he was like, can you tap on that while we talk about it? And I was like, yeah, sure. And then as I'm telling this story, I'm remembering about this memory I had between me and my mom when I was 13 and I was crying and it was the day before our big Nutcracker performance. And I was the lead in the Nutcracker. I was Clara and I was crying the night before because we had gotten into this fight and she was like, stop crying or you're going to be swollen tomorrow. Your makeup's not going to look good tomorrow. And I was like, okay. And I just like basically like swallowed up all of those tears. And then I swear, I don't think I cried again for like almost 10 years. And so my, I'm serious. Like I would cry like during like maybe joyous occasions where I felt like it was like permissible for me to cry, but like any sort of Or like in a movie or. Yeah. Yeah. Any sort of like shame, like guilt crying. Like, no, no, no. I just would like shove that down. So like basically all of that came out in this session. And I was like, I'm crying about like my 13 year old self and like or it almost felt like I'm crying the tears that like that version of me never got to cry because you know the 29 year old version of me now was like what am I crying about or like what am I upset about there's nothing going on right now but I mean if you want to go into it we can but there was a Taurus eclipse about five days ago and um, I was talking to an astrologer and he was saying that the last time there was one in 2012 and then before that it was like a previous year where I basically, those years matched up with like when I was 13 and then when I was like Mm. 19. And I was like, what? And so all of this energy was being activated again. And then my current mind was like, this makes no sense. And it reminded me of like a literal parent, not understanding why their child is having a tantrum because they're like, what are you, you've been fed. We gave you a bath. Like, why are you crying? And then you find out that they're like upset about like the move that you made like six months ago. And then you're talking to probably like the counselor at school and you're like, why are they upset? And they're like, oh, moves can be very, very disturbing for almost years. And you're like, what? And I'm learning that's how inner child healing feels. We're like, I don't realize how my own body hasn't gotten over things and can be triggered by seemingly random, you know, small things in my environment to me now, but they're just, they're big things to my body. And so I have to be compassionate, but I don't always want to be. I think having, I mean, I have a kid, she's seven years old. I think my self-compassion grew so much. I mean, I want to say it started because I really did not Mm. have self-compassion at all for different things, you know, but um, I was very hard on myself. And when I had her, this little perfect human. She is perfect. 
she literally is perfect. Literally um, perfect. But it showed me how hard I was being on myself because I could see it reflected in in her. And, you know, as a baby even, the first question that a sleep coach asks you when they're having pro- problems like sleep regressions and they're having tantrums is, have you had to move? Is there a new baby? Is there anything mm. big that's happened? And it's like, yeah, but that was like a year ago. That was six months ago. And they all say it can come out later. Essentially what happens is they they internalize this event. They don't really know what to do with the emotion and it just gets stored and it just builds up. And then it the just- The body keeps the score. Yes. Oh my gosh. Yes. And, yeah. and it just then comes out and it, it usually comes out. What's interesting is, you know, when you think about the path of least resistance, it comes out where it can come out. And yep. so that's why for you, I think sometimes it does happen where it'll one thing will trigger it and then it just you explode and everyone's like, that's such an overreaction. You think it's an overreaction, but it's not when you think about where it started from. I know. Right? You learned well, at a young age it wasn't you shouldn't cry. I know, I did. I literally learned that. Um, it was pretty it wasn't like a explicit rule, but I think just growing up in an Asian household, you just that would be like an ungrateful, disrespectful thing to do. So you just did not do that. And I mean, I know I know that you cried a lot in your childhood, but you always did it in secrecy. It oh, was like always, myself, always in the-, in the darkness of your room, like yes. in between pillows and like stuff with animals. Um, yeah, and it's crazy because I remember well, I called you, right, a few days ago and I was saying I was so mad, which mad is always a is always masking sadness. I always yeah. say anger is like sadness with like a cheap Halloween mask on. <laughs> mm. Because I started saying, I'm so effing pissed right now. And then like I immediately started bursting into tears because I was actually sad. And what I was upset about, if you remember, it wasn't that big of a deal. I'm not even kidding, guys. It was like arguing with my husband about where we're going to go eat, which is just the number one argument of our entire relationship. <laughs> it's not significant at all. But I just started freaking out i just like had this mental breakdown and i was talking to you and i was like literally sitting on the sidewalk and there was like homeless people screaming and i was like what is my life i'm literally having a breakdown on the sidewalk right now but once i realized that i wasn't reacting to the like (laughs) conflict about what restaurant to eat at it was this feeling of like not being understood like not being heard also feeling like i wasn't allowed to cry about that but you know you can cry about not being able to choose a restaurant that's fine but I knew that I was feeling upset and that it was going to look like that's what I was crying about. And so I tried to hold it in again. And then I called you and I was like, I'm so sad. (laughs) And I just cried and you and you were just so compassionate because you knew it wasn't about that. I mean, I think that it's the shame. I think for most people, it's I'm only going to react and be okay with reacting this way and being upset if it makes sense. And if it makes sense. If it makes sense. If it feels called for. If it feels appropriate. And most people's meltdowns, children included, they don't freaking make sense. They seem crazy. They're like, why are you spazzing out about this? You're overreacting. And I think that makes it so much worse. Well, that's the craziest thing about our society that I'm realizing is that we have no emotional intelligence. Like just in general, we think every single emotion has to have like a really good backup reason. Yes. And that's why, like you said, the child's having a tantrum, but we like attribute that to like the fact that they're a child. But honestly, adults are children just who got older and didn't mm-hmm. deal with their shit and then now mm-hmm. suppress it. But yeah, when when you have these freakouts, instead of being like, what's going on? Like, like getting curious about that, we just judge it. And that reminds me so much of even Emmeline. I, you know, when she, my daughter would have a meltdown, you kind of 
in, your initial instinct is to make them stop. You're like, why are you crying? What's going yeah. on? That's yeah. not even stop something that. to be upset about. Like I was noticing how I was talking to her the way that I would talk to me. And it would, you could see in her she would shrink, right? Yeah. Because and there would be this this sense of like, can't you just see? Like, I'm just upset. And and I remember then I learned, I mean, through all of the, you know, Dr. Shafali is amazing and she's one of the Incredible. biggest teachers that I've, I've I've learned from. You have to address that pain first. Like you said, that top layer. I don't even bother mm. trying to teach the lesson. I literally look at her when she's upset and I just say, do you need a hug? And I just hold her. I just let her cry. She is just sobbing. And then she gets it out. And then it's like, now we can talk about it. Because there's no point in getting into it until, right? Because we talk about the whole tantrum state. She's not in the state. Your to, brain's not logical. It's no. not It's not acting from a place of like clarity. And, you know, a lot of people are trying to make decisions from that place. And that's just not the time. Um and you know what's so unfortunate about relationships and why so many relationships end is because we can't bring that consciousness to a partner. So, I mean, there have been times in my relationship before where, like, I'm having a effing meltdown and I'm not being very kind. But then what I'm actually wanting is a hug. But in that moment, he's like, why the F would I give you a hug? You've been a raging bitch for, like, the past hour. And it's true. Like, in a sense, I don't really deserve a hug. But that's actually what my nervous system needs. And then we can talk about all the, you know, things that I said and how I shouldn't have said those in that way and, you know, what kind of led up to it. But, you know, trying to rationalize my behavior in that moment, it's only putting me into more fight or flight. And so recently, I've just been learning that I really have to give myself first what I'm wanting from this other person. You know, there are times where I'm like, I just want him to tell me it's okay. And like, you know, say that he forgives me, but it's like, I have to think that it's okay. I have have to to forgive forgive me. Yes. Yeah. And it's so hard because I don't want to forgive myself until someone else forgives me. But what's interesting about that is there's been so many times in your life, and I'm sure anyone who's listening life too, where you have been forgiven, but you still can't let it go. Yeah, yeah. You, you, like, like they're like, it's fine, it's fine. Like, I don't, I really don't care. Let's move on. And you're like, I can't. I literally can't. It's so not it's fine. not. It's not. Yeah, you're like, it's not fine. So it's not actually the other person. Then it's just you. But you think that the other person is going to make you feel that way once they do that, and then they don't, and then you just, yeah, still feel like crap. But um, I think that was probably the biggest lesson for me for sure because I remember I had this expectation of myself that I was going to parent my child in a way and she was not going to have trauma. You know, I was like, (laughs) she cannot go through the same thing I went through. I don't want her to have stuff to deal with with a therapist. Like, no, I'm not going to have that. So everything, every time we got into an argument, every time I snapped, I felt this instant guilt. Like, no, I screwed it up. Like, I Mm, I screwed it up. And she would say, it's okay, mommy. I'm like, it's not okay. It is not okay, I should not have done that. And I would just crucify myself. And then I remember one time she made a mistake and she came to me and said, mommy, I'm so sorry. And I said, baby, it's okay. I totally understand. And she's like, it's not okay. It's not okay. And that was the first time I heard it. And I was you heard like, yourself. Oh my God. Yes. I'm like, this is what it sounds like. And then I actually, I actually said to her in that moment, you know what? I know it feels like it's not fine. And I know I've said that to you too, but we have to start forgiving ourselves. Like we have to start forgiving ourselves. That's the most important part. Because even if everybody did forgive you, like you said, if that part's not healed and you haven't forgiven yourself, it's just going to keep on coming up over and over again. And I think. Now it's been manifested into my daughter where I'm seeing, you know, that happen in her. And I think 
that's where I've really learned self-compassion because I need to show her how to have self-compassion. And that mistakes are okay. You're going to make mistakes all the time. All the time. Oh my gosh. I remember when we talked about that. I remember we had our, (laughs) we had a nail appointment and you showed up and you were just in like, you were just kind of unhappy. And I was like, you okay? And you were like, yeah, it's fine. Like, I'm just, I don't even want to talk about it. And I was like, okay, well, we're going to talk about it. (laughs) And it was literally about this. You were like, I just, I just kind of like lost it. I got really upset. And I just, basically you were just in so much shame about it. And I remember that was kind of like the start of you realizing this because I was like, everyone else is okay with it. Like the person that you impacted is literally okay with it. It's just, it's just you against you. And yeah, the, we had a conversation that day about how being a good mom was not never making a single effing mistake. It was being able to make them and then own up to them and model the behavior of forgiving yourself so that you can teach her that like, yeah, that's okay. Like, it's okay to get upset. You're a human, but this is how we fix that. And this is how we move on because that's life. Life is not perfection. Life is not ever not losing your shit. It's losing your shit most of the time. But knowing how to kind of come back from that, come back to balance um, in a way that doesn't continue to, yeah, self-punish because that's just so ineffective. I was just going to talk about the whole punishment thing because I think there is a sense of I'm letting myself off too easy. Mm. Right. And we talked about in one of our conversations about how we punish ourselves and that there is an element of the crime. The time needs to match the crime. Yeah. Right. So for but it's me, arbitrary. It's like, we make it up. Totally. But to <laughs> me, that seems like such a huge crime, quote unquote, that I I did something that was so wrong in my mind. So I can't just let it go. I have to suffer Repent. and I need to yes yes and yeah. like you said ground yourself right you, you, you. <laughs> actually you actually you said that and I thought it was such an incredible metaphor because basically like when I feel bad about myself and I'm like in a shame spiral I put myself in like time out I ground yes. and then and then you were like no you grounded yourself you didn't let yourself go outside you didn't let yourself use the phone you didn't let yourself see your, your friends and I was like oh my god I literally grounded myself mm-hmm. unconsciously you took away all your privileges <laughs> yeah you're like I don't deserve this Literally. And like no one was doing that to me. It was just me. I was basically being my own mean inner parent. I was like, nope, you've been bad. We're taking away the phone. You're not going outside today. You're not seeing any friends. You're not even allowed to eat. You're just you're just going to sit here and think about what you did, yes. you know, <laughs> and then none that like never that never actually worked. It like, makes it so much worse. And I, I, I've i listened to so many things about like attachment parenting, conscious parenting, and they always say that in the moment that the child is acting out, it's like that's when they need the connection the most. And that's where most people disconnect, even within themselves. And that's why it's always so Especially hard. within themselves. Especially within yourself. It, when you are feeling the worst and you feel like you made so many mistakes, it's like that is the moment where we need to come and save ourselves. But we're waiting for somebody else. That's or never going like, to come. Absolutely. Or we're like waiting until we like basically whip ourselves into like a better version of us. But that mm. never really works either. Right. Um, I think a lot of people are living that way where they basically just feel they're very fueled by shame and, you know, self-hatred, to be honest. Um, and they think that getting that next thing. I mean, so many people come to me um, with regards to manifestation, like they are waiting for that manifestation to basically absolve them of all the guilt and shame they feel and finally be that token for their happiness. They're basically like, hey, here's my like happiness 
ticket or like that I get to redeem if I get this thing. And it's just like, no, like the, the happiness and the sense of fullness and just true joy really comes from that. Honestly, like that communion that is missing between you and you, the way that you abandon yourself when you did what you thought was quote unquote bad. And then you punished yourself. And then you said, oh, I have to do this now to make up for it. And it's like, it's like, again, with the parent and child, the child doesn't have to do anything to make up for it. The parent's like, it's okay. I literally still love you. Actually, I love you more today. And they're like, really? I'm sure Emily's asked that before. She's like, really? You still love me? I mean, I remember the first time I actually asked her when we were, um, we got, she got in trouble for something and she was so upset. And I asked her, I said, do you, you know, I still love you, right? And she's like, no. And I was like, you don't? And she's like, no, I don't know. And I said, I love you so much. Like there is literally nothing you can do, nothing you could say. And she's like, but I made a mistake. I said, Emmelyn, you could make a million mistakes. You could lie to me. I mean, I didn't want to encourage her to do those things, but I just wanted her to know that it's like, I love you as you are. You don't need to do anything to earn the love. And I think it just keeps on mirroring back to me. Oh, I want to love myself like that. And I want Mm -hmm. her to love herself like that. You know, um, it's so interesting how early it starts for kids too, right? I mean, so early. It's crazy. Um, And it's crazy to me because I actually asked her, you know, when you, would you like, like yourself when you see yourself in the mirror, like, what do you think? Do you think you're special? And she's like, I'm not special. Um, but what's interesting is when I asked her, what if you met yourself on the playground? Oh yeah. What would you think? She's like, oh my gosh, I would think she's so fun. And so this, and it's so interesting that when we separate ourselves from ourselves, we're like, yeah, I could, you know, people have said to you, I think you and I have talked about this before. If I met myself today, right. Yeah. What would you think? It's that external image that you're like, yeah, I could see that that person would be successful. But when you're inside of it, we're like, I suck. I'm not good at anything. That's actually hilarious because I was about to say, I would totally want to hang out with me, but that's why I hang out with you because you are me. You're my (laughs) twin flame. So I clearly like myself. We're literally almost like the same person. But yeah, when I'm alone with myself, when I'm in those like shame, like depressive spirals, I'm like, I would rather be with anyone else than with myself. Um, And so I want to go back just a few clicks because I think that one of the greatest mistakes that we make as humans, one of the greatest flawed perceptions that we hold is that we have to earn love. Mm -hmm. And so we do that in so many ways, you know, through partnership, through career, you know, through our bodies. Um, And none of that compares to the just overwhelming well of self-love that is actually still within you just waiting to be activated. But you're right. It does just start so young. I remember asking my own mom, like, I remember it was right after 9-11. So that was, um, I was not even 10 years old when that happened. And I remember like learning about it and how like tragic it was. And I remember asking my mom, we were in the car going somewhere and I was like, mom, would you still love me if I was a terrorist? And she was like, yeah. And I was like, but really? Like, what if I was a terrorist? And she was like, Sam, I would still love you, but I wouldn't agree with what you did, but I would still love you. And I was shocked. I was like, 
you would still love a terrorist? How could you? <laughs> like, I couldn't believe that. But like, I was checking. And I, I think that checking kind of starts really early. Like, do you still love me? Well, okay, well, I, look look at me. And think about all the times when you were a kid and you were like trying something new and you were like, mom, look at me. Am I cool? Like, you're, you're checking. You're like, do you love me? Do you think I'm awesome? And then like your parents, like, they think you're awesome. They think you're amazing, but they're like just busy. They're just like, you know, handling business. They're like having a bad day and then they don't look at you. And then you're like, Oh, I guess they don't love me. Like it's not conscious and it's not purposeful, but then we start trying to get attention from other people maybe, right? That happens in our teens. Now we don't care about getting the love so much from our parents. We're like, I'll get it from my friends. I'll get it from my boyfriend, girlfriend, whatever. And then starts the lifelong journey of having to unlearn all of that at some point and just come back to the love that you always were when you were a sweet little baby. It's just been the the craziest journey. You know, I feel like for my whole life, I mean, just to put it into context, I am nine years older than Sam. So, you know, I feel like all throughout my my 20s, I was on this search for someone, something, mm-hmm. you know, this thing that would fill me up, you know, I would just keep on, like you said, I kept searching everywhere. And finally, I think what I tell myself now is like, I'm just going to give myself the love that I have been waiting for for years. And, you know, it's crazy because it's always so disappointing. I feel like every time you think this thing is going to be it, it it always falls short. And it's always going to fall short because no one will be able to give you the kind of love that you know you need. No one. No one. Because even like you said, when you're feeling sad and you want to hug, he doesn't know that. No. Right? He has his own version of what's going on. You don't look like you want to hug. It looks like if he (laughs) gave you a hug, you'd probably push him away. Yeah. (laughs) Right? He has no idea. But you know that's what you need. So I think it's going inward and asking those kind of questions of, you know, we've talked about this of what's the unmet need. But even when we've asked ourselves the question, it's what's the unmet need from them, Mm -hmm. from the other person. Yeah. And a lot of us, unfortunately, we don't allow ourselves to sit with the pain long enough to actually uncover what that unmet need is. It's Mm -hmm. so easy in our, you know, just go, go, like, quick fix society to just, like, pop pills, go have a drink. You know, a lot of people are smoking weed now in Canada. I mean, they always were, but it's totally legalized (laughs) now. So there's a lot of ways that we numb this, and not just with substances. We numb it with work, too, right? I mean, that's a work is a huge distraction, and one of the biggest discoveries in my spiritual journey or just journey of life really has been that – you know, hustle culture and just being in North America in general, we really idolize and reward hard work. And so it's really hard to even see that as a problem in your life. You're like, no, this is good. Like I'm, I'm accomplishing things. I'm, I'm moving forward. But no, it's a distraction. It's, it's your, it's your drug, right? It's not an actual drug, but it's like when you start to feel uncomfortable, you're like, oh, I guess I'll just put in a few extra hours of work. I'll, you know, distract myself with organizing my client management system online. It's like, I will find a million things to do before I sit with myself and ask, how am I feeling? (laughs) (laughs) And it's funny. And I, and it's funny because there are times when like, I don't even know what I'm feeling, but I'll just call you. And I'm just, I'm just kind of like in a, in like a frenzy and like, you already know, but I'll be like, I don't know. I'm just kind of like feeling weird and like, yeah. And you're like, what do you need right now? (laughs) And then I just start crying. (laughs) Which is so funny because like all of us are walking around acting like we're fine and we're not. We're like all about to fall apart. (laughs) I think that's, yeah, I I think I remember us talking about that, that it's like everyone is going through it. 
every single person. And I think social media is just so messed up that way. I mean, I do feel like people are catching up to it, that it is a highlight reel, obviously. Um, But it is hard. And it's the whole comparison thing. And I think with the whole work hustle culture, it's a tangible proof that you're doing okay. It's tangible proof that you're doing well. And that I completely attached my self-worth, self-love to my work. Um, It was honestly like a blessing and a curse. And um, yeah, I feel like it's it's a hard thing to shift out of because then you're like, well, what what am I going to do to to love myself? What is there to love? Right. How am I, I going to earn even do my anything. worth? Yeah. Yeah. How am what I going to earn my worth now? back? Yeah. Exactly. Just going to love myself for being me? Like that sounds crazy. I well, you you know that I've told you this before. What my dad said to me when I was like in high school or something. It's my favorite. I know. I literally, I'm going to start crying I, every single time I think of this. I remember. Um, like doing really well in school or I don't know. I just, I don't remember what prompted it, but I was like, dad, are you proud of me? I was like, dad, are you proud of me? And he looked at me and he was like, Sam, I was proud of you the day that you were born. And I was like, like literally still to this day, I'm like, what? I don't have to earn your proudness. And he's like, no, literally no. Literally every single thing I have accomplished to him, that's just like, like a sprinkle on type on top of like an amazing already like super sized jumbo sundae it will make no difference in the flavor of this dessert it's just garnish mm-hmm. and it's so funny because so many of us are like literally like killing ourselves for those garnishes and we're saying like look at me look at how look at look at me love me and it, it is really unfortunate. Like, I'm so lucky that I have a parent like that who truly has verbally communicated to me and shown me through actions that he does love me so unconditionally the way that you have with your daughter. But I think, unfortunately, a lot of us just don't have that. And so it's so easy to fall prey to all the outside things. And that's why so many people want to manifest literally physical things, which is amazing. But that's why my process really starts with like, what is this going to feel like? There's, there's, you only want this because it's going to feel better than how you feel now. But if you want it and you're in this state of lack, then you're opposing it. You're actually making it that much harder for you to get. So we have to get you to feel that way now. And they're like, no. And I'm like, oh, well, we have work to do. (laughs) We have work. But that's because it, it sounds so simple, but it is simple. And it, but it's so hard to wrap your mind around it. Cause you're like, well, how am I going to feel happy now? Cause I don't, I don't have that though. I know. And that I think because you're so, it just feels so backwards. I think I I just didn't believe that I ever could really like love myself for for nothing. It just didn't seem. It just felt so. Um, I guess the word would be undeserving. You know. Yeah. Because we think we have to earn it. But I also don't think I feel like I needed it. Hmm. There there might have been an element for me that it just wasn't that important for me to you know self love. I I didn't really care. It was like well. I think I'm good if I do X, Y, Z. But like I said, I think with having a child and you you experience that level of love, of just unconditional love, you're like, oh, like this is what it's supposed to feel like. Right. And the fact that you had said, I just thought I didn't really need it. I'll feel good when I do X, Y, Z. But then you have to keep doing it. Yes. Yeah. And so that's what's so dissatisfying sometimes on people's manifestation journeys because, I mean, you and I have manifested so many things. And there have been times where we've just literally manifested it and been like, okay, what's the next thing? We just, yeah. we just, we don't even ha- take a moment to embrace that, embody that, like really just enjoy the pinnacle of that moment. We're just like, okay, great. That's like a, you know, notch on my belt. And so now my, obviously our processes look very different now. I mean, we, we love 
we love the journey. Journey's like, the best part. The journey's the – we say that all the time to each other. That's like, our, this is that's the our best quote. part. This is the best part. Like, this part of creating and ideating and imagining. And um, I think about this experience Gina just had recently. She went to Disneyland, which was mm-hmm. such an incredible experience. I mean, you can tell us more about it. But I remember that so much of the joy of that experience was actually visualizing and journaling and just knowing – living in the knowing that that was going to – happen and you said that that was almost like as good as being there totally the positive expectation thing it was being excited about something it's like waiting for your birthday or waiting for christmas you're like oh my gosh it's coming yeah and then it happens and then it's over (laughs) and then it's like really sad if you hinged all of your happiness and self-worth on that one day i mean we actually used to do that with christmas like i remember there was like one year where we had a really big Christmas gift. Like I got a Barbie Jeep and I was like literally like the happiest child on earth. And then the next year we just kind of started getting smaller gifts. Like as we were getting, like as we were getting older, my parents were like, okay, we, we did the thing with like the Barbie Jeep and like the motocross thing. They're, they're getting stocking stuffers from now on. And I remember just like, basically like all of like November, December, just like basically just waiting to be happy on that day. And then it came and then my gifts were like, just not that satisfying. I was like, what? I waited for this. And it was like, man, I I remember even at that age kind of feeling guilty that like, I kind of wasted all this time, like not feeling good and wa- and just waiting for Christmas to absolve me. And that's how we are with like, when we think about manifestation, we're like, I'll just wait until I finally have that partner. I'll just wait until I have that pile of money and then I'll feel better. And then like, Sometimes you do get it, right? And then it's still just not – it's missing something. Which is why you then say, okay, now I can't wait for the next thing. And it's just this perpetual cycle of chasing this endless thing. And I mean, I feel like I've learned so much from Abraham Hicks. I know we both have. And I think one of the biggest things that I've learned um, in that moment when I just constantly keep chasing things and I'm kind of, you know, I, I think I just kind of got to the point where I realized nothing make I'm never happy. It's like I'm not I'm happy don't, yeah. I'm not happy when I get it, and I'm also ha- not happy when I do get it. So at what point do I start to feel happy? And that was yeah. Oh my god, that was such a huge lesson for me. I was like, I wasn't happy on the way, and I'm not happy even after. So like, what what the fuck? Like, what is the <laughs> point? And I think from Abraham Hicks, the biggest thing that I've learned is that. Literally, literally, the key is just finding some way to be happy right now. And I know that that sounds so obvious, but it literally is not even trying to be happy about the thing that you're thinking about or thinking that you want. That's actually the worst thing to try to think to it's be happy the about. worst. Because you have it's so much worst. resistance to it. So you, you do just have to think about something else. You just have to. It's going general, right? Mm-hmm, and that's what she talks mm-hmm. about all the time. So that has helped me a lot. Um, I think there's also a fear with a lot of people, and I know you go through this too, especially when you are in your shame spiral, you're kind of going through feeling bad. You're so fearful, and we all are so fearful that we're going to manifest more of it. Well, yeah. And then we perpetuate more of it from that fear. Yes. And it just (laughs) makes it worse. And so that's when I – like the analogy that I've always used is the hot potato, right? It's If it's too hot, just drop it and think about anything else. And for me, sometimes it's literally staring at the wall and saying, the wall is white, the table is brown. And I just try to get my mind off of it. And that little break in the spiral helps to then – 
alleviate that resistance. And then you all of a sudden are able to get in the, um, the wisdom, the, the nugget, the little inspiration, the little voice, whatever you need that can can then break in and then you can move on. Well, it's interesting that you were saying how you fall into fear. That's so common for most people. They're like, oh my God, like is being scared, like ruining my manifestations. And the thing that I actually teach in my coaching program, it's actually the first lesson because it's where the foundation is built. It's kind of like, we need to understand the nature of reality because it's like not understanding the rules of the game. And so when I teach about the nature of reality, we actually start to really dissolve our projections and beliefs about what the past and future are and start to really play with them the way they actually exist. So the future, for example, is not real, right? As soon as I believe, oh my gosh, is this fear going to perpetuate like bad things happening? Then we almost like just kind of choose and align with that timeline. So for that moment, yes, that's what we're aligned with. And that is what can possibly come into our present moment awareness and be experienced as reality, right? But what people don't realize is that as soon as you shift your state, you shift the timeline. So it's not like it's not like a set in stone thing that like, oh my gosh, you had a bad week. Now your life is ruined. It's like, no, you were just kind of aligned with like shitty stuff for the week. And then as soon as you do shift your vibration, right? Now you're aligned with like a totally different thing. And so that really just freed up my just, I had a lot of anxiety about that. And um, I was actually talking to one of my clients in my coaching program that really explain this. And I told her about how I used to do future self meditations all the time. And up between 2017 and 2021, I always saw a really modern, like chic, slick house. Okay. I think I told you about this house where it's Mm -hmm. like, it's like all white and like, you know, black accents. And basically it was like an ice cube. It's like floor to ceiling windows with like no warmth. And then my, my style and my my taste really changed. Remember, like now my new apartment has a lot of like earthy grounding textures. I really was feeling called to, yeah, bring in a lot of warmth into my home and I wanted to feel cozy. And then I remember in 2021, I did a future self meditation and I was like, I'm going to go to my house. And I went to a like a different house and I was like, mm-hmm. whose house is this? And it was my house. And it was, you know, I met my 40-something-year-old self. And she was, like, taking me through this, like, very Tuscan-inspired kitchen with, like, you know, copper tiles and, you know, lots of really heavy, um, like, you know, beige and brown rugs. And I was, like, kind of confused, like, why I was living here because it wasn't the house I normally, (laughs) you know, go to. But when I came out of the meditation, I realized it's because, oh, my present moment now, like, my present reality me has different preferences, which has literally shifted the future timeline. And so that's how it works. Um, and that can, I think, release a lot of anxiety that you have about how, how am I feeling, how I'm feeling right now might be like ruining my future, but no, you're just aligned with a few negative things for a little bit of time until, yeah, you shift your vibration. Mm -hmm. And I think it's also just remembering that the contrast is, is there and it exists there so that you can then figure out what you do want. And it also, it is what's going to push us into this corner of, of growth. Like you wouldn't, you wouldn't have had the same inspiration to write your book yesterday had you not gone through what you did. You just no. wouldn't. And, you know, we wouldn't be forced to look at ourselves. I think you and I have been very much um, pushed into corners of growth in our relationships. And, Mm -hmm. you know, when we fight, I have to look at myself then and be like, what is causing this? What did I do? You wouldn't do the same reflection if there wasn't something wrong. So I think that's where it goes back to thinking of pain and contrast as 
as a, as a growth tool, really, right? It's kind of the catalyst to help us to look where we need to keep on healing, right? We always talk about it being like a signal of pain, just like a physical body pain. If your ankle's broken, it's your brain's going to tell you it's freaking broken so that you can then repair it and help it to heal. And I think it's the mm. same thing with our emotional pain. It's just there as a guidance kind of signal for us. So yeah, I think it, that's really interesting. Like I truly believe that pain, we either, okay, I think it goes one of two ways. You experience pain and then you bring awareness to it and then you grow or you experience pain and then you ignore it and then you suppress. Mm. (laughs) Those are really the only two ways. And what's interesting about you and I is that we've been in these marriages now for, you know, you for over a decade, almost two decades and me for close to a decade. And we've had to, in the name of our relationship, look at ourselves and bring awareness to those patterns. But a lot of people will not do that, mm-hmm. right? I remember talking to you and wondering, like, how many relationships have ended that have had arguments and bad moments, like as bad as ours, where they were just not willing to kind of like look underneath that pain and figure out what is the trigger? Like, what am I, what unmet need is here? How am I projecting that onto the other person? And I'm not trying to say that like every relationship like should and like you should stay together. Like I definitely think that some people just aren't compatible, but I definitely think that there's a large percentage of couples that break apart because they're not willing to do the awareness work because the pain is going to happen regardless. Like no matter what relationship you're in, that's what I've realized. No matter what career you're in, relationship you're in, city you're in, you're going to experience pain. And there's only really two responses to that, grow or suppress. And the suppressing thing, to me, I feel like the more you suppress it, it just starts to come out in other ways. It manifests in other ways. It'll right. start hurting, like almost like, what do they call that when it's pain, but it's from something else? Residual pain? What do they call that? Like well, I mean, you, just sh- pro- you just project it to other people. I just imagine like, you know, I don't know, like a ball and you it just keeps growing and growing and then it's just going to create another hole and it'll just keep expanding. It'll keep kind of going through these little cracks and it's going to come out. It's going to come out. It always does. It always yeah. does. And then and then what's the reaction from the people around you? They're like, what's wrong with her? Mm. She's freaking out. <laughs> Which I think is one of those reasons, too, why we do suppress a lot of our pain. Um, you know, I was listening to Lewis Howes the other day, who's another obviously very Love famous him. podcast host. I've been listening to, to him for years. But he was saying, like, the number one superpower is being able to express emotions fully in a healthy way. And I just think that, I mean, even me, like, I don't really know sometimes how to do that in a healthy way. Like, what is a healthy way? How can we express emotions without making it mean anything without us, about us? Um, I think a lot of us believe that emotions, like, have to have a purpose. And, you know, we identify a lot with emotions. We say, like, I'm a happy person. I'm a sad person. I'm an anxious person. When in reality, we're not any of those things. Those are passing sensations. Mm. But yet we just get attached them so quickly. Um, A really good metaphor um, or simile rather that a life coach once gave me was regards to emotions that I use all the time with my clients is when I sat down on this chair, I didn't become part chair. Mm. (laughs) She was like, you exist apart from the chair. Even if you sat in the chair for a really long time, when you stand up, you will exist as two separate entities. You do not fuse together. And I was like, well, obviously. And she was like, but yeah, that's how emotions are, right? Like there was a moment in time when you weren't anxious as like, just as you were not once sitting in the chair. And so, you know, based on just that alone, that this emotion will not stay just like you will not always stay in this chair. Mm -hmm. And so I literally have to remind myself sometimes I'm like, I'm not part chair. I'm not part chair. 
<laughs> and basically just reminding myself that this anxiety is actually going to pass, but it's hard. Did you, I mean, because we've talked about how in high school you were like the happiest person and all of those things. I mean, when do you feel like you first really started to feel a level of pain to the point where you were like, I don't want to feel this. I, I need to run away from this. You know, when did that mm. kind of start? That started for me when I was 19 and living in New York City. Mm. And looking back, it makes so much sense because the move, remember? We talked about mm, yeah. <laughs> We talked about that with the kids. So I grew up in West Tennessee in a really small town. My graduating class had about 100, 110 people. Um, and I used to think that I was a city girl who was stuck in the country until I moved to the city. <laughs> I moved to New York City with my two suitcases um, in 2012. And it was just a whirlwind from the moment I got there. And I had to grow up really fast. And yeah, it was just a huge adjustment for me. And I really did not handle it well. Like looking back, I'm like, that was not a good time. But once again, no pain is without purpose. That's actually what started my spiritual journey. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, getting to such a deep rock bottom and having, you know, eating disorders and just mental issues from the ballet world was like, that was literally my rock bottom. And so I'm so grateful for that. But I think that's when it started. Um, before that, I truly had a very padded childhood. Um, I had a lot of really amazing friends. I had lots of extracurriculars. And to be honest, if I look back, I don't think I had any space to ask myself again, the, that same question I asked earlier, like, what do I have a need? Like, what do I need right now? I was really busy. Like I was actually busier as a child slash teen than sometimes I am now mm -hmm. because I would literally wake up for school at 6.30. I would give myself 20 minutes to get ready. I had to be at school by 7.15 <laughs> and I was a 20 minute drive. And then I'd be there until about 2.15, 2.30. And then I would have dance at 3.30. And then I would stay there until like 8.30. And then I would come home and I would do homework and then I would like fall asleep like with my textbook on my bed. And then I did that for like all of high school. And so I don't know if I didn't feel these things. I'm sure that I did. I just didn't give myself any time to express them. And keep in mind too, I was still living in my parents' house. So mm -hmm. it wouldn't have been, you know, necessarily acceptable if I just like walked around crying out of like anxiety or sadness. My mom would be like, what's wrong with you? Mm. She's like, I gave you such a good life. Stop that. It's almost like you didn't even have like the time or the space to to feel pain anyway. But no, I also just think, it was running away from it. It's very interesting because I was gonna I was about to say something like maybe it's like one of those things like how kids are not scared of so many things, but it's because they don't actually know like why you should be scared. Like jumping out of an airplane, I used to be like that's awesome, and now I'm like I mean I could die. I mean yeah. there's so many things that could go wrong. I've read so many news articles about things going wrong. And you then have this heightened awareness of all the things that could go wrong. And I guess as a child, even like the pain thing, um, maybe it just didn't mean as much to you because you had so much other stuff going on. But I guess when I reflect on my high school years, I mean, I, I experienced so much pain. I think I that know. was probably where <laughs> Such I a felt drama the queen. most pain. And so that's why I was like, maybe it's not that. But yeah, I would say high school was probably one of the hardest, hardest for me, for sure. Wasn't it so hard, though, because you were constantly dealing with, like, these identity crises because you had moved so many times? Mm. Yeah. Your self-concept kept getting challenged because every time you moved, you were like, who am I going to be so that I can earn love so that people will like me? Yes. That is stressful. That's super stressful. I mean, I think also I… 
I had a very, I was very aware of the fact that my family, I felt really didn't know who I was. I, I was very aware of the fact that I couldn't really be fully me. And I couldn't also be fully me in high school, in the different schools. I kept moving every couple of years. And um, there was definitely a feeling of disconnection and feeling of where do I go? Like nowhere yeah. feels like home. Nowhere feels like it's my space. Nowhere feels like I'm okay to be me, which is why I would cry alone in my room because that's <laughs> where I felt like I could feel safe to do that. So for me, I would say that that season of time was just so painful. So I think that's why I'm just so much more used to it maybe. <laughs> I, I mean, know. you definitely allowed yourself for sure to feel more pain than I did. Um, I remember when I was 19 living in New York City and, you know, once again, I was experiencing that shame and guilt of like my external environment not matching my internal environment. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of people go through that, especially like, you know, modern day men and women, we have most of our comforts met. If you're listening to this podcast, like you have an iPhone and live in a probably decent, half decent apartment. And so I think a lot of us just feel like my suffering is like stupid and selfish and like kind of lame. <laughs> and I remember being in this apartment. I was literally living on the Upper East Side. I had this gorgeous apartment that I could not afford with a exposed brick wall. And I remember just having like my first panic attacks in that apartment and being like, what is wrong with me? I'm in New York. I'm a ballerina. I'm living my dream. But I was like, not living the dream at all because I was mm. so internally battered and just beaten down from all of, from no one else but me. No one else was doing that to me. Everyone else was like, you're doing great, impressive, oh, awesome. And it was just me being like, you're not good enough. Like you suck. Like, you know, you're getting fat, all this stuff. And like, it was delusional to be honest. Like, you know, body dysmorphia is real, a literal mental perception disorder. And I remember, um, like, I remember not being able to relate to people who cried when I was growing up. I was like, why are you crying? <laughs> you can ask like, any of my friends from high school. Like, I was not the emotive type. I would be excited, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't get in those somber moods. And so finally, when I was 19, I, like, understood. I was, like, that random person on the subway just crying. And I finally understood because I would see people oftentimes on the subway. Cry There's people crying on the subway all the time. And I just always remember thinking like, oh, I wonder what's going on in their life right now. And I'd like make up stories about them. And then I like became one of those people. And I was like, I wonder what stories are making up about me. Like, <laughs> but I just understood. I was like, sometimes like things just feel literally like hell. Like you just, you're just in a literal hell, but the hell is in your own mind. It's not actually your reality. Mm, and I think, I mean, when you said that part about your friends and how you would always ask them, like, why are you crying? And you would always just kind of have that. You couldn't emote in that way. I mean, it makes so much sense, right? Because you learned at a young age, maybe not explicitly, you know, maybe your parents didn't say, you know, those straight up, like, don't ever cry. But you do learn that it's better to just suppress it, to, to suppress it, right? And so I think that in those moments, like I said, it's just you so need to be understood by anyone else. But it's like it has to start within us because we're still trying to justify, you know, why we're upset. We're still trying to have to explain it. We're still trying to make it make sense. We're still trying to come up with a reason that's good enough for us to have this level of reaction when you don't need to have a reason. And in, and in fact, like, I mean, especially with children, it's usually something that makes literally no sense. 
and but they're upset and 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 you still need to address the pain even if it doesn't mm. make sense it's funny you say that because i watched like i've seen these tiktok videos where it's like things my toddler got mad about today and it's like i put the fork on the wrong side of the table and we're here and the child is literally losing their mind mm-hmm. and she's like it's going to be okay. I'll put it back. I'll do what you said. And it's just so funny because like, I think that I, I, I mean, you, we talked about this before where sometimes you see a child like losing it and you're like, that's how I feel. Like yeah. um, I see kids losing it and I'm like, me too. Like me, like I want to lose it. Like I would, I'm like, I wish I could be losing it right now. Like I see kids where their parents are like, it's funny because my husband oftentimes will like walk in front of me because he's really tall and I'll be like so annoyed by that. And I've actually seen kids trailing behind their parents and like basically like being so like, oh, like, and then they're freaking out because their parents are going and they're like, come on, come on. And I'm like, that's me. Like I want to lose my mind on the sidewalk right now because you keep walking half a block in front of me. And like, he doesn't mean it just like the parents doesn't mean either. They're like, we just have places to go. Like, hurry up. And we got longer legs. So. Yeah. But like, and they just lose it and it's okay because they're a child. But I don't know. Like, how do I reconcile with wanting to lose my mind on, in the middle of a sidewalk? And like, how, you know, that, well, that'll be for another episode, maybe like where we can talk about how to like actually honor my feelings. Mm, I love that topic. Yeah, yeah. How to honor my feelings in a reasonable you know, healthy way? What if I am in public, you know? Is it okay to suppress and then like bring that back up again? Because I think actually my meditation teacher said that. He was like, maybe you want to, you might be in a situation where you need to suppress it. But right now, if you feel safe, bring it back up. So I think that maybe we can kind of turn off and on. But I think most of us are comfortable with turning off. We don't ever really turn back on. Mm, yeah, I, I'm i like, let's turn it up all the way. But I, I do, I do think... <laughs> Um, consciously, there's definitely times where I tell myself, okay, I need to just hold it together now. Right. And I have to tell myself, I hear you. I know you need me or I, I love you anyway. You're going to be okay. And then I have to give myself a minute and then I go and then I can have my meltdown um, by myself in private. Um, so I think there is a time and a place where you can consciously say that, but that's very different than us being like, just stop it. Like, no, you know, I think that those are two very different things. So I think if you can you know, again, like talk to yourself as the inner child. Like, hey, I see you. I hear you. Because I have to do that with Emmeline all the time. I mean, if she might be having a meltdown and it might be at someone's birthday and I'm like, you know, it might not be an appropriate place for her to be having this Mm. meltdown, but I still address it. You know, with her, what I actually used to do, especially when she was a toddler, I'd always pick her up and take her out of the space so that she didn't have this shame of everyone. Yes, everyone's looking and everyone's wondering. I would just take her in a quiet place. And and sometimes we need to do that within ourselves. And we might not be able to physically remove ourselves, but inside and just go quiet and just say, hey, like, I hear you. I see you. And I think there is that frantic energy of like, does anyone see me? Like, hello, like someone help. (laughs) And I've just learned, oh, I need to just see myself in that moment. Yeah, and I have to just mention like, okay, you're a conscious parent. So (laughs) Emma's going to be a very different, um, emotionally intelligent human being than most of us are. But yeah, a lot of us didn't have that parent that was like, I'm going to remove you from this space and ask you if you're okay and we're going to calm down and we're going to go back. It was like, stop acting like that. If you keep acting like that, I'm going to, you know, we're going to go home right now. And then you're like, no, right? And so I think that that ends up becoming our own internal voice. 
100%. I mean, I think that another thing that a lot of people do, and I don't even blame them, it's it's they actually will make fun of the kid and say, like, oh, my gosh, my kid is having a crazy meltdown. She's spazzing out about something so dumb. Nobody pay attention to her, you know? And that's, again, like you said, it becomes her inner voice. And I feel like, I don't we know if you told ourselves. me this um, or where I read this, but it said, you know, that our inner our mother's voice or our parents voice becomes our inner voice you know our inner critic right inner and critic. i think that's been so true i think for for me and i'm sure for a lot of other people and 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 then i think it's just that whole reparenting process right of oh i can actually be the parent that i wanted in that moment or that i need in this moment um yeah i think healing is definitely reparenting it is recognizing that childlike part of us that is being activated, um, honoring that what is happening right now might not even be related to what's currently mm. in the environment, but is activating like an old wound. And yeah, being able to witness those without judgment. And I think um, so hard. that's a whole nother podcast judgment because we all need to detox from the judgment, as Gabby Bernstein says. So, And the shame, the shame and the, and shame. the judgment. The shame is what kills. The silence is what kills. And so we hope that by having this conversation, um, we spark more conversations, right? More consciousness, um, more just humanity. And I think that when you hear someone else go through the same thing, you're just like, oh, okay. So it's not just me. I'm not crazy, right? Because it is so easy to think that it's just you. Mm. Um and so one of the um, one of the things we actually go through in my coaching program is we spend a whole week on fear, and I actually make my clients like share it in front of like everyone in the group, and they obviously feel like the first two feel like so embarrassed and like ah like freaked out, <laughs> but then like by the end everyone's like almost crying because they're like we all are afraid of the same thing, mm-hmm. literally, and so yeah obviously our intention with this podcast is to create more community and to make you feel a bit better. Mm-hmm. Okay. Are we ready to end it? I think we're ready to wrap up. <laughs> Alrighty. Well, thank you so much for listening to this episode and um, we'll see you on the next one. Thank you so much for listening to this honest conversation. We hope it brought you peace, clarity, and a little bit further along your spiritual journey. If you loved this episode, it would mean the world to us if you left us a five-star rating and review so we can bring you more conscious conversations, spiritual topics, and guests. Here's to spiraling higher.